Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Thanks for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian. I'm your host, Christian. We're so glad that you are here with us today. It's been a little while for those of you on our Activate platform. We've been about two months without a podcast, but we're excited to be dropping one podcast every Sunday for the next five weeks um, in kind of a joint discipleship content uh, with a series we've been doing at Journey. I don't know when you may be listening to this podcast, um, but we are doing a series at Journey in the spring of 2023 called Broken People, Sexuality, and Marriage, and the Gospel of Grace. It's been a seven-week journey through Matthew chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 20, and as you listen to this podcast, you need to know that it is in partnership and in addition to that teaching series, which you can find on YouTube, on our YouTube platform, or you can find our website. If you go to our website and you go to Watch and Listen and you go to the series history, you can go to the letter B, they're all listed in alphabetical order, and go to Broken People, Sexuality, Marriage, and the Gospel of Grace. This series has stirred so many good questions and good conversations that we either needed to preach for another six or eight weeks in Matthew 19 and 20, or we had to drop some podcast on our Activate platform to just try to answer mass questions to a mass audience. So I'm grateful you're with us. Let me say this for today's podcast. The title of today's podcast is Why Do Christians Only Follow Some of the Old Testament Laws? It is a very real question that has come from a very real person out of a very real teaching series through some things on Old Testament sexuality. While our church has been reading the Bible through together in a year in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, why do Christians only follow some Old Testament laws? Should we follow any Old Testament laws at all? If you are driving today while you are listening to this, or if you're listening to it on the treadmill or on your Peloton, like I will often do listening to a podcast while I'm working out, you might have to listen twice. This is probably a pretty good podcast to make yourself a cup of coffee, pour yourself a cup of Diet Coke, go sit in your favorite chair, get out a journal, get your Bible. This might be one that you listen to or watch on YouTube and you pause frequently. You go to the Bible, you see the reference that we're reading, you underline some things, lots of spiritual knowledge. I'm going to try to make it as practical and as fast as possible, but I'm going to try to give you some conversational tips. Uh, If you're engaged in conversation with people about culture and what the Bible has to say about cultural things, specifically through the lens of the Old Testament, I think I'm just going to give you some really practical tools today on answering the questions, why do Christians only follow some of the Old Testament laws? Uh, We are primarily, as a church, looking at what the Bible has to say about sexual morality and sexual immorality in Leviticus 17, 18, 19, Deuteronomy 22 and 23, some of those Old Testament texts that feel really ancient, really old. Um, And we're trying to figure out, do these still apply to Christians today? Um, If you want to get real specific in our broken people, sexuality, marriage, and the Gospel of Grace series, you want to listen to message number five. It is the partner that will go with this podcast, and we're just going to try to dig in and answer some questions today. So as we look at Leviticus 18, 19, 20, Deuteronomy 22 and 23, let me give you the questions I tried to just kind of whet the appetite of our church for this podcast with um, last Sunday. 
Uh, a lot of times people will say when they hear about what the Old Testament has to say about sexuality, they'll say something like this. Hang on, Christian. Um, doesn't the Old Testament basically say, don't be gay, don't eat bacon, uh, don't get a tattoo, and don't we basically not believe those things anymore? Fair question, good question, question that probably should be asked. Um, I'll have people ask me, like, hey, it's 2023. Uh, if God created us a certain way, doesn't God want us to do sexually whatever makes us happy? Well, when you look at the list of 23 things that Scripture gives us that the Bible calls sexually immoral, actually none of us would say if those make people happy, we should do all of them because everyone has a sexual ethic. I'll also hear people say, well, Christian, you know, the Old Testament, specifically the areas of Leviticus and Deuteronomy that talk about sexual immorality were written 3,500 years ago. Um, can something written 3,500 years ago still hold uh, a sense of morality and absolute truth and spiritual authority for us today? Um, and, and to those that I'm close with, I just finished a meeting with someone in our church who, like me, also has the unspiritual gift of sarcasm. Every now and then I'll have somebody who I'm close enough relationally to be sarcastic with. Uh, and when they say to me, um, do, do you really think what was written 3,500 years ago still applies today? My sarcastic side will always say, of course not, which is why none of the Ten Commandments matter anymore which says to them, of course, I still believe that much of what was written 3,500 years ago still matters, and so do you. Because nobody thinks just because the Ten Commandments, commandments like don't murder, um, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't take all your neighbor's stuff, just because those things were written 3,500 years ago doesn't mean they no longer have authority or morality or ethics attached to them. So we just got to be careful it's some of the things that maybe social media or the liberal church has taught us to say that we really don't even believe. Yet, as Christians, we don't follow everything in the Old Testament. So why is that? I'm going to try to talk you through three things today to try to answer this question. Why do Christians only follow some of the things in the Old Testament? You might need to take notes to capture it all or listen a couple times to capture it all. Um, first, you need to understand this. The Torah which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, also called the Pentateuch. The Torah includes civil, ceremonial, and moral law. And let me define those for you as simply as I can. The Torah, when answering this question, why do we only follow some of the Old Testament? We would say that the Torah, the first five books, the law of the Old Testament, includes civil, ceremonial, and moral laws. You say, what is a civil law? Think government, think nation, think your government class in high school. A civil law was given for Israeli citizens. Um, what is a ceremonial law? A ceremonial law. So if civil law, if in civil, I want you to think Israeli, in ceremonial, I want you to think Jewish or Judaism. So ceremonial law were were religious laws given to the people of Judaism that were all very, very specific to how you interacted with the tabernacle, the physical tabernacle in the Old Testament and the physical tabernacle in the middle of Jerusalem. So civil was for Israeli people. It was the Israeli constitution. Um, ceremonial were for Jewish people living in the times of the tabernacle 
or temple in how you approach God, moral laws were laws that were God's standards for humanity's relationship with God and each other. As Christians, we continue to follow the moral law of the Old Testament for two major reasons. You say, why not all of them? Well, most of us are not Israeli, and none of us are still Jews who worship at the tabernacle or at the temple. So we know very specifically scripturally that God sent the gospel to the Gentile people, which means non-Jewish, which means the civil laws of ancient Israel we no longer have to follow because we are not citizens of the nation of Israel. In Acts 9.15, the Lord sent a man named Ananias to a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee named Saul, who would have his name changed to Paul. And he said, I need you to go and help this man because he's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings. In that statement, God said Christianity will be for more than Israeli people. It will be for non-Israeli people. And literally in that instant, we're going to find a connection with Jesus that isn't going to make us become Israeli first. So the civil laws, we say, well, why don't you follow the civil laws of the Old Testament? Because I'm not a citizen of the nation of Israel. And some of those were very specifically for citizens of the nation of Israel. You say, well, what about the ceremonial laws, like the food laws? In Acts chapter 10, we see the Apostle Peter, who up to this point had only told Jewish people who practiced the Jewish faith, Israeli people, part of the Israeli uh, nation, about the Jewish Messiah named Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, he has a vision where God three times presents him with unclean food to eat. And three times Peter says, I'm Jewish, I'm unclean, I don't eat that type of food. And God says, from now on, don't call unclean what I call clean. Um, Christians believe that in that moment, God lifted most of the Jewish ceremonial laws of the Jewish religion off of the evangelism to the Gentile Christian church. We also know very specifically that the apostolic authority of the Christian, the early Christian church, lifted ceremonial Jewish laws as a requirement for living for Jesus as a Gentile Christian. In Acts chapter 15, the early Gentile church was trying to figure out, uh, do we have to become Israeli first? No. Well, do we have to become Jewish? Like, do we have to practice the Jewish religion before we can become Christians? The answer again was no. And in Acts 15, 28 and 29, it says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, this is the apostles in Jerusalem writing to the Gentile church, not to burden you with anything that's in the Jewish law beyond following these requirements to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, which means idolatry or worshiping more gods than God from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things in that one letter sent from a group of people known as the Jerusalem council, James, the little brother of Jesus Christ, several of the uh, original apostles of Jesus to the Gentile church. They said, you do not have to ceremonially become Jewish before you can become a Christian. You don't have to do that. So a lot of times they say, wait a minute, are you just arbitrarily saying civic and ceremonial laws don't have to be followed? No, I'm not saying that. God lifted civic laws when he says non-Israeli people can be Christians. The apostolic authority of the New Testament lifted ceremonial laws when they said you do not have to practice the Jewish faith to be Christians. But all of the moral laws remained the will of God for the people of God. Let me say it again. 
the moral law of the Old Testament remained the will of God for the people of God. You say, says who? A man named Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 5, 18 would say to the people of Israel, truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So the civil law, which was a, a, an Israeli king coming and ruling over the people would have to happen. It did in Jesus. Someone from the Jewish faith would have to go behind the veil in the Holy of Holies to offer forgiveness for the world. Jesus would do that. But the moral law of honoring God, laws between man and God and man and man, would be fulfilled by the people of God. So the moral law has always been the will of God for the people of God. However, we need to understand this when we look at the Old Testament. Number two, if you're taking notes, righteousness never came through obedience to the moral law. So a lot of people think, oh, in the Old Testament, you were connected to God because you followed all these laws, including all these sexual laws, Leviticus 18, 19, 20, Deuteronomy 22 and 23. Old Testament, you were connected to God through obeying the law. New Testament, we practice grace, so laws aren't important anymore, right? No, righteousness never came through obedience to the moral law. The word righteousness, for those of you who might be like brand new theologically, the word righteousness means right standing with God. And what you need to know is the people of Israel did not develop a right standing with God by obeying all the moral laws. They had them. They did not obey them. We would actually say the entire ceremonial section of the law was created because of the fatal flaw of the moral law. Let me say that again. All of the ceremonies of Judaism were created because there was a fatal flaw in the moral law. You say, what was the fatal flaw? Humans are so sinful that they were unable to live up to God's perfect standards. God said, I want you to honor me this way. They couldn't. They were sinful. God said, I want you to treat everyone in this way. They couldn't because they were sinful, which is why the priest offered sacrifices, which is why Judaism offered Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, which is why the high priest over and over again had all types of ceremonies to forgive you of sin, fellowship offerings to let you spend time with God. The ceremonial law was created because the moral law had a fatal flaw. Humans were sinful. So even in the Old Testament, we see it was always the grace of God through a mediator that allowed people to live in a right relationship with God. And this is what Romans 8 teaches us. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Christianity has released you from the ceremonial legislation of the Jewish law. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, what the law could not do, connect you perfectly to God, because your flesh is sinful, God did by sending his own son Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh by crucifixion on a cross, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, somebody lived a perfect life, might be fully met for us who don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Son. We don't look at the Old Testament law and follow it so that we can be saved, because we're too sinful to follow it perfectly. Instead, we look at the law, we realize we're sinful, we look for a mediator, we find Jesus, and we place our faith in him. That's why Abraham's covenant in Genesis 15, Abraham wasn't allowed to pass through 
the pieces of the covenant because he couldn't keep it. Only God did. It's why in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was not permitted Isaac to sacrifice Isaac because Isaac was not a good enough, perfect enough sacrifice. It's why in Exodus, the people of Israel had Moses because they could not do it on their own. It's why in Leviticus 16, we're told only one high priest one time a year on the Day of Atonement could go behind the veil because the people couldn't get close enough to God on their own. And it's why Christians need Jesus. First John chapter 2, verse 2 says Jesus has become the propitiation, the payment for our sins and for the sins of the entire world. Our righteousness was never received by obeying the moral law. So the question is not, what laws do I have to keep to become a Christian? Please understand the heart of where I'm heading. The question is not, what laws do I have to keep to become a Christian? The question is this, what law should I strive for because I am a Christian? The question is not, what laws do I keep so I can be a Christian? Laws don't lead to Christianity. The question is, what laws do I keep because I'm a Christian? Laws lead to worship and they reveal how much our heart loves Jesus. So we need to understand, number three, the fu- there's a fundamental difference between the discipleship of legalism and obedience. If you would be happen to take in notes, why do Christians only follow some Old Testament laws? Well, because one, the Torah includes civil, ceremonial, and moral laws, and we're not Israeli, and we don't practice the Jewish faith, so we only follow the moral laws. But we don't follow the moral laws so that we can be saved. We follow the moral laws because we are saved, because righteousness never came through obedience to the moral law, but it came through a sacrifice and a mediator because we could not keep the moral law. But we need to understand, number three, there's a fundamental difference between the discipleship of legalism and obedience. Let me unpack these for you. Legalism says it's our responsibility in order to be saved or prove our salvation to keep things. Legalism says it's our responsibility to keep laws in order to be saved or to prove that we are saved. I was on a call yesterday with one of my ministry coaches and we were talking about uh, a shared experience we had in one of our favorite churches in America in South Florida uh, where the pastor fell morally. And it was exposed, this pastor who built a church of nearly 20,000 people, it was exposed that he had been sleeping with his assistant and several women in the church. Um, and he fell from grace in disgrace um, because of his ministry. Yet he was one of our favorite preachers and teachers. And the guy on the call said to me in jest, because he also has the unspiritual gift of sarcasm, um, man, I'm just shocked that God could use somebody who was so messed up like, and he said this pastor's name, But what he meant by that was, as we look through Scripture, the only people God has to use are messed up people. So legalism says we're saved because of our actions. That's not what we believe. Hebrews 10, 10, 1 through 4 says that legalism cannot save us. Keeping the law does not save us. Uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says the law is only a shadow of good things that are coming. It's not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, legalism, can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect people who draw near to worship God. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all. They wouldn't have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are simply an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What Hebrews is teaching us is that it's impossible to earn your way to God. 
So churches that teach legalism, you have to do this or you cannot be saved, we would say teach something that's not biblically true. Because the Bible says you cannot earn your salvation because no matter how hard you try, you're always going to fall short. And there's no religious system in the world that allows you over and over and over again to try to work your way to God, hoping one day you will get there. So legalism says, follow all these things and maybe one day you'll be saved. There's a big difference between the discipleship of legalism and the discipleship of obedience. Obedience is not our responsibility in order to be saved. Our obedience is our response to God's salvation and our desire to follow God because of the sealing of our salvation through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it this way, when you become a Christian, God replaces your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That heart of flesh is metaphorically sealed with the Holy Spirit that now beats with the heartbeat of God, and it makes you desire to do what God wants you to do, and it gives you the strength eventually as you flex that discipleship muscle as a response to your salvation to live for God. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says it this way, Now the one who has fashioned us for salvation and living for God is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. One of the ways we know that we have really been authentically saved and that we've authentically repented of our faith is that our heart now runs towards the commands of God, not away from them. Not so that we can be saved, but because we have been saved and we love and want to honor God. 1 John 5, 3 says it this way, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. His commands are things that we actually desire to follow now that we are Christians. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says this, Christians make it their goal to please God. Not so they can be saved, but because they are saved. They make it their goal to please God. So when you look at the question, back to the original question, why do we only follow some parts of the Old Testament? Let's unpack it in reverse. Why do Christians who are not Jewish, who live in 2023, not 1500 BC, why do we follow any of the Old Testament? Because within the Old Testament, God has put civil, ceremonial, and moral laws for his people. At first, his people were a nation. They were the Israeli people, and he gave them a constitution to follow. We are not Israeli, so we don't follow all those. God also birthed out of the people uh, a faith known as Judaism that we now call the Judeo-Christian faith that would be a symbol of the salvation that was come. He gave them a tabernacle so that his presence could be seen and felt among them that would later turn into a temple that would hold his presence among them. And he gave them rules and regulations for how they were to approach and interact with that physical presence of God. But again, that was just a picture of God himself in Jesus who would eventually come. But we're not Jewish, so we don't follow those. But God gave us his moral law for telling us how we could follow his heart and how we could love one another. And even though we are not Israeli, and even though we do not practice the Jewish faith, we are followers of Yahweh God, the God of heaven and his son Jesus. And because it's our desire to please him, we, like a server at a restaurant, ask God, what is your order for my life? And then we try to deliver that. Not so we will be saved, but because we are saved. Not out of legalism to earn our salvation, but out of a response of obedience 
to give evidence of our salvation. So why do Christians only follow some of the Old Testament? Because we love the God of the Old Testament. And because in his love, he saved us. And now we want to honor him and we want to draw close to him by the way he has said that we need to live our life. We also don't believe that we earn our salvation and we don't believe that in salvation we get to throw away all the laws of God. Listen, just because the Old Testament scripture is ancient doesn't mean it's antiquated. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's outdated. Scripture is eternal, which means it's always impactful. All of it. And scripture is timeless, which means it's always timely in our life for what we need to hear. And as we look at the moral teaching of God in the Old Testament as followers of Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, and his Messiah, his Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, we say, what honors and pleases God in my relationship to him? What honors and pleases God in my relationship to others? And we do our very, very best to do that. It's not our responsibility. It is our response. It's not how we earn salvation, but it does give evidence of our salvation. I hope the little bit that we've talked about today has been helpful to the question that you've had and that you've been asked. Hey, why do Christians only follow some of the Old Testament or should Christians follow any of the Old Testament? The answer is yeah. Um, The moral law that God set forth in the Old Testament, Christians follow because God loves us and we love him. And I love that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Um, Every day we wake up and we think, what could I do today to show God that I love him and please him? Not to earn my salvation, but to give evidence. And the question is, we follow his commands and eventually they get to the point where they're not even a burden because his Holy Spirit lives in us and it changes our heart to want to follow. So I hope today's been helpful. Um, Next week in this series on broken people, sexuality, marriage, uh, we'll drop the first of a two-part podcast um, called 10 Tips for an Intentional Marriage. My wife, Danielle, and I will be on. We'll be unpacking some things we learned at our recent marriage conference that hopefully will help you and people you're trying to help in their marriage journey. Um, And I look forward to, uh, for the next five weeks, jumping into your podcast, um, download, and uh, being with you on the way to work. Um, on your time on the treadmill, on your time on the Peloton, um, with you while you're waiting for your kids to get out of practice, uh, and just walking step by step as you try to take your faith and make it active by learning how to do really practical things um, in your faith walk. So thanks for listening today. As always, if this has been helpful, we'd love you to rate um, on whatever platform you listen to. That helps get our message out to more people. Um, And as always, we hope you will join us next time, which this time happens to be next week on the Activate Podcast, where we develop, uh, challenge you to develop a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.